Hello, and welcome back to Searching Inward. We are so excited to join you here. Um, I'm George, joined with Anna and Scott and Seth, and we are on this contemplative journey to help each of us understand our personal story and our inner life to live more fully and compassionately. So we are so glad that you're listening today. Um, today we want, this episode is entitled, Who's Telling Your Story? And we're going to discuss today and learn that when we remember the experiences of our lives, we remember our experiences in story form. So there are all these stories that, um, maybe multiple stories, and there's the experiencing self, which is you in the moment that uh, you experience life. But there's also what we're learning and we're going to talk about today is the remembering self, which is you that writes the history. And the two selves don't always agree, I guess, is, is what we're learning on what happened. And so we want to have some conversation around that today. And uh, Scott, in this day, you say it's the remembering self that needs our attention because the story it tells us is not always true. And it has a ten tendency to disqualify the positive. So that's interesting. So can you set this up for us? Just the difference between this experiencing self and the remembering self. Well, we're experiencing life every moment that we're, you know, conscious. And then I'm storing that through my memory. And that's what, and so how I'm remembering what I'm experiencing is going to really determine how I interpret my story. It really becomes my reality. Again, it's a perception. This is what I perceive I experienced. And so, and lots of times that's skewed. It's not necessarily even true, but that's how I am remembering it. And I think that we talk a little bit again about the power of awareness. Am I aware of how I'm remembering what I've experienced in my life? Mm. Because so often those memories become so dysfunctional and they, and then especially if I have a deep regret and shame attached to it, just wears me out throughout my life. And it's what it's actually doing then is determining how I'm going to experience my present. It's, it's creating the reality by how I'm remembering my past. How, how is it that that remembering self disqualifies the positive? Like, is that just a part of our, our brain wiring? Like, you know, we talked about this kind of stuff before that it's the negative stuff tends to stick and the positive stuff, you know, uh, kind of slips away more quickly. So is, it, is this just a matter of how our brains work and process the negative experiences of life? I think, George, well, I think can talked. I speak to that? Yeah, like, I just was thinking like our, our, our we're, we're trying to make meaning, like our brains are always trying to make meaning of things. And so we take the remembering self takes past experiences and tries to kind of predict what's going to happen in the future, right? Because that's like our, uh, it's part of our like self-protective mechanisms. So if we've had like negative experiences in the past, um, our brain tends to go a little bit more on autopilot, not necessarily seeing that as um, an isolated individual event. And especially if there has been like maybe repeated negative experiences that are like variations on a theme, your brain is going to predict that that is in fact, just how things are going to turn out. So um, instead of like your experiencing self, even if what you're experiencing currently might be 
actually a different story, a different narrative than what the remembering self tells you, sometimes you're not able to be fully present to that in your experiencing self because your remembering self kind of overrides your brain saying like, oh, this, even though what I'm experiencing right now might be positive, my remembering self tells me that's going to ultimately turn out negative. So I'm not going to allow myself to be fully present. And so sometimes it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I could piggyback too, Anna, that was brilliant. I loved that. Um, the, I don't know if you all are familiar with just implicit versus explicit memory. Like there's mm-hmm. there's the kind of parts of our the way that our bodies remember things that are that are explicit memory that we're not actually able to recall. It's it's the example of like usually the the story is told of a person who can just jump onto a bike and not have to remember how to do that. It's, this is implicit memory. And there are implicit memories that we all have, uh, especially from childhood, where our our brain had not yet construct, constructed the tools to remember certain things. But uh, there is an intelligence in our bodies that is able to restore or store certain, certain things. It's why, like, for example, I might not remember certain, I couldn't, I can't, couldn't tell you a story about something I had with a certain person when I was three, but I can remember a certain feeling mm, about yeah. being with that person, how I feel safe with them for some reason. I don't know why, but mm-hmm. yeah. Or unsafe for yeah. someone. Or unsafe, and, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, uh, so can, can we simplify this somewhat? Because yeah, we all got stories floating around our head. And to your point, Seth, is it explicit or implicit? Um, maybe could we give it language like this? Is it the good part or the bad part we're remembering? What emotion, like, is that a good place to start? What emotion or is this story uh, bringing up? And is it connecting us to just the bad part or the good part? Um, Brene Brown says this, and Scott, you, you quoted her um, in this, but she said, when we have the courage to walk into our story and own it, we get to write the ending. And when we don't own our stories of failure, setbacks, and hurt, they own us. And uh, Scott, you said that's why going back through our our old narratives is so important because we must tell the story more faithfully. Um, Yeah, so uh, what emotion is telling the story? You asked that question. What's that driving at? How do we get to that? To me, the most powerful emotion that is determining how I remember my past, my story, is shame. Mm. And, and fear, I think, is deeply entrenched in shame. Because what's, what's the message of shame is if, if I'm exposed, you are going to reject me and abandon me, which is the greatest fear of all human beings. So I think that it is, that's why I think it's easier for us to attach to the bad than it is to the good. Because the, the bad hurts so incredibly. And, and just the way that I think God wired our brains, you know, I need to remember for safety reasons certain things, you know, I need to, you know, I remember one of the first memories as a kid is do, parents teach you do not go out in the street. You get run over and killed. So, you know, you became aware, fire, things like that. So I think the same thing is the message of shame, the emotion that is attached to, uh, I have failed. Mm. And, or, and then and when it becomes toxic, I am a failure. And so emptying that out from that old memories is, is, is hard work. But it's, I do believe that the awareness of 
Where is that story coming from? What, what, who is remembering this? Is it the shame in me or is it the healthy side of me, the, the redeemed side of me? Yeah, and we, do, we want to trust more fully and deeply the more healthy, well, all emotions are healthy. So yeah, don't want to say that, uh, you know, feeling anger or something like that is unhealthy. But there is a way to, to tell our stories and to, to remember them that are, are more healthy. So we can't get stuck in the negative. And, 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 and George Brene Brown, it's not in that quote, but she says, wherever you can find those communities, these places where you can go and be safely embraced in this story with empathy, she says, sprint to them. And I think that that's why the only way that I'm going to be able to reframe my past is to go back through my past in an environment such as the groups that we do where it's a safe space and there's empathetic listeners and then God can help me reframe by emptying out that which is not true. I wonder yes, how many of us who are listening remember what is not true, but yet we're attaching a truth to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so going back through our old narratives is really important. I'm gonna come back to something, uh, Seth, you said. And Anna, maybe you guys can speak to this because maybe people uh, express this in, in the groups you guys do. But back to what Seth said, what if I have this feeling of, man, I feel safe with this person and I'm not really sure what it is, or I feel unsafe with this person and I'm not really sure what it is. Um, what, what do we do with that? Like, like where could we go? How do we listen to that story where we can, you know, move more towards safety or maybe understand more deeply why we'd feel unsafe with someone. And, and what's that saying about them or what's that saying about me? <laughs> oh man, there's a, I think there's a lot of places to go with this. Yeah, this is, I think, something we talked about last week um, with polyvagal theory, right? We brought that yes. up very briefly and kind of three, the pr- three primary aspects uh, were hierarchy, neuroception, and co-regulation. And this, mm. the second one, I think is one of the things we're talking about. There's a there's a uh, an intelligence that is neurocepting um, something about you that's tied to my my history. Like you feel unsafe or you feel safe for some reason, mm-hmm. and on some level, I am interpreting something about you in that way. That's that's what neuroception is about, and I think that's why like learning these things about our biology are so important. There's actually a felt sense of what it feels like to be safe or insecure in your body. And so I think when you can like tune into that, you can work with that. So like I like what does it feel like? What is what is the what does that actually feel like in my body to feel unsafe or insecure? And to to work with that is to to feel that, to actually, you know, feel into the sensation of where that is and how big that feels and what's the getting curious with that, um, what is that? What's the shape of that? Is there a color? Um, is this? How, what's the age of this? And then you know, doing practices of helping you. You know, there's like you can do affirmation practices of "I am safe." You know, like this is what the rational brain can be worked used so well for. Like, am I actually safe right now? Yes, I am. There's something about my past um, that is being interpreted through right now that's not true. Like one of the things I really like that I've heard from. A guy or a girl named Nicole Lepera, she says, all emotion is valid, but my reaction to it might not be. So I'm feeling this right now, but is it true? And so when you, you know, are doing, when you're working with the reality of that emotion, then you can 
begin to change how you're actually experiencing it, I think. But you have to be able to, I even think, feel what what safety or unsafety feels like even so that you can do something about it, you know? That's so helpful. Neuroception. Um, neural. Is it neural or neuro? Neuro. Neurocep- neuroception. Maybe we thought of that as like our conscience, which kind of sees, seems like something out there somewhere <laughs> floating around the air. But um, neuroception, this is something that's more connected with our biology and how it leads mm-hmm. to a more healthy brain and experience of being human. Yeah, I love that. Well, Anna, I want you to kind of riff on this for a moment. But uh, Scott, he said that we spend too much time in failure. And I think it was something like regret is an old energy. I love that, <laughs> an old energy. So, um, and psychologists call changing what you think about what you feel as cognitive restructuring and reframing. So this is kind of a practice, I guess, we can do when we are spending too much time on failure or we're spending too much time on our regrets. But for instance, Scott, you said it this way, that it's thinking I'm weak when when we feel sad or scared can be transformed into I am strong and courageous enough to let myself feel sad or scared. So instead of a narrative being I'm weak, mm-hmm. actually I'm courageous because I'm doing the work of, of thinking about how this old narrative or this sense of failure is holding me back in some way, but I'm actually being courageous because I'm going to begin to work with it in some way. So Anna, here's the question. May may sound like a mental trick, but this is actually a form of power. So how do we practice this? Okay, George, I love that you asked this because this is actually something that I am like currently right now trying to put into practice. So my birthday is coming up and historically my birthday is just always really difficult for me. Like it just often has been um, somewhat overlooked by close people in my life and um, just makes me feel a little insignificant. Um, This is just me being super honest and vulnerable here. And I realize, like I recognize kind of where that narrative is coming from just with um, some negative experiences in my past um, growing up, you know, not, not feeling valued, uh, by my family of origin, not fitting in socially when I was a small child. Um, so some of those things, and then also like just, um, there's a lot to that. So anyways, (laughs) with my birthday approaching, I'm starting Mm -hmm. to already feel like those, those feelings of like sadness and just like anxiety of like, oh my gosh, like I've just got to get through this. And I'm like, okay, what, what, emotion is telling this story. And it's obviously the emotion of hurt and sadness that I feel um, unvaluable and insignificant, which is not who I actually am, right? I know that there are a lot of people Mm -hmm. in my life that love me and value me and would want to celebrate me. So (laughs) as an act of defiance or growth or whatever you want to call it, I have decided that I'm going to throw myself a birthday party. I'm going to invite all of my friends wow. to come over mm-hmm. and just hang out on my birthday. Like, maybe nobody will come. Maybe everybody will come. Maybe somewhere in between. But just because somebody else isn't taking the initiative to do it for me doesn't mean that I am, uh, yeah, any less worthy of celebrating my day like everybody else. So mm-hmm. that's me being conscious of 
what emotion is telling the story, and trying to rewrite the narrative in a more positive direction. A form of power. <laughs> yes. I love that. Anna, when is your birthday? It's November That's 2nd. <laughs> Okay, so all you listening, yes. write that down. Come on second. <laughs> it's Anna at RestoreSmallGroups.org. We all need to give this girl her birthday wish. Um, no, because obviously this is what you guys do in group. You know, we we co-regulate, right? Yeah. That, that's that's another part of what Seth Seth taught us, and so let's let's help you do that. But that no, that's a that's a beautiful way of of going about it. Taking action. I'm with you. That feels, thank you, Anna, for sharing that. Mm -hmm. It feels like you're risking finding out you are significant. It feels risky for mm. sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, putting yourself out there. I love it. That's that. brave, though. That's amazing. That's inspiring to me because I don't like to risk finding out if I am or not. <laughs> no, it's fine. Well, that, that, that's what this is all about. And, and the truth is, is that you guys are all talking into mics, but you're also living these things every day. And that's that's why we all feel them when we listen to you guys talk. So thank you so much for just being vulnerable and um, modeling You know what this looks like. I want to come back to this, which is, because that sounds like at the end of the book, Scott says, we need small victories to change old narratives. And to Seth's point, you know, you being vulnerable with that and setting yourself up from that, it's like, yeah, a small victory here would absolutely begin to change that narrative for you. But Scott, this is kind of where you ended. What, Anna's a perfect example of a small victory there. Um, but how, what might be some other examples of what small victories that can change old narratives might, might look like for, for others? This is where I didn't, I don't know if I said it so great in this day, but, but having a vision on the bottom of page 143, it says the Bible's full of prophecies about the future. They tell us how things will end. If prophecy is like a North Star, it tells us the most important thing. It reveals what God will do in the future. It takes us back to God's promises. So to change our narrative, we must change the direction of our lives. We must do something that has a new ending in mind. That is a vision Without a vision, people would perish. And so, you know, again, insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. If I'm holding on to this same narrative, if I'm still doing the same, making the same integrated choices of thoughts and actions, I'm going to, it's just going to be, that old story is just going to become embedded permanently in my consciousness. And again, what we've said before, what Einstein said, we can't solve the problem from the same consciousness that caused the problem. So if we're going to strike at the root cause, we have to strike at the paradigm. And the paradigm is what I'm believing. So even having a vision of what am I going to do today, whatever small little victories there are, what little small new steps of taking thoughts captive, reframing, redirecting. And um, I, I saw a quote the other day, on a t-shirt, I thought it was really cool. It was like, said, I'm getting better 1% today. I thought, mm. wow, that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, insight uh, to have. Um, because we were, I, I hear it from everybody that's ever been in a group, the mm. hardest person in my life to please is me. Who's the hardest on me of anybody in my life? Me. And I, and I, mm. I hear that from everybody else too. 
that, you know, just the, that, that inner critic is just brutal. And again, I think it's easier to believe the story that I'm not enough, that I'm never going to be enough, that I've failed, that I'm flawed, than it is to believe I'm great, I'm lovable, there's goodness in me, I can change, and I am lovable, and there's and God and I can create a new ending. And so having that vision, which takes us back to the very first day of the first book, Journey to Freedom, I saw the angel in the stone. Do we see the potential of who we really are in Christ? And and I'm going to carve until I set them free, which is every day getting better at 1%. Well, that's okay. I don't know if wow. that's 1%. helpful. In 30 days, where we all yes. be, we all... Oh, in 100 days, we'd all be 100%. <laughs> so, uh, wow, that's that's really helpful. Kind of the the section of this, because we just began a new section of the book, and I love the what you titled the section of this. It's nothing is written that can't be rewritten. That's the hope that we're living. That's the hope we want others to begin to trust in. And understanding who's telling the story might be the beginning of that so that we can rewrite our stories. But I want to give each of you just a final word here, uh, just one thought with this concept of the experiencing self, the remembering self, um, the emotion of telling a story, and you know what part we're actually listening to, how regret can be an old energy, and even how we need small victories to change our narratives. But what's what's one thing you want to leave our listeners with? They're just about to get to their destination or just about to get in their car to start a day or waking up in the morning or going to sleep. Yeah, what is it that you want them to hold in their hearts? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll begin and just say, mm-hmm. it seems like we're what we're talking about is, is our well-being is largely tied to how we understand our story, how we understand our past. And to me, this then means that um, if we fail to make sense of our past, then we we uh, find ourselves like recreating it. And and that's one thing I know about, about wounds is they're always trying to, um, they will continue to reenact themselves in your, in your story today if they're not completed, if those wounds are not healed. And I know that to be true for my own life. And, and so, especially as like a parent, the stuff that I, I'm realizing that I, you know, it's one thing to read these things, like I, I read a lot, and it's one thing to read these things and another thing to see these things play out in your real life. And I've seen countless moments of unhealed things from my childhood that I replay in my own kids' lives. And and it's so interesting to, um, to just see that that's, my, that's part of my responsibility and how I parent, how well I can parent my kids is how well I make sense of my own, you know, my own childhood mm-hmm. and and what my parents were not able to do for me. And so... Um, I would just say uh, the hard the hard work here is is looking at your your story. Um, and as I mentioned before, uh, I think in a few other episodes before this, Dan Siegel talks about building what's called a coherent narrative. And this is where you don't you don't like condone behavior in the past that was negative towards you, but you make sense of it. Like people people uh, were only able to give you, to the level that they'd matured or they'd healed. They were only able to love you to that extent or to give to meet your needs to that extent, which doesn't make it okay when they weren't able to, but 
you know, your parents had their trauma and, and their parents had their trauma. And so they, whatever we don't look at, we continue to, to pass down. So all that to mm. say, I think it is our responsibility on some level, the older we get, the more um, healthier we get to look backwards at what is still controlling our lives so that we don't continue to pass it down. But that's like it's acceptance as the pass, pathway to peace. Mm-hmm. Um, the beautiful prayer. Um, so, yeah, that's great. Thank you, Seth. Anna, how about yeah, you? Rit- I would just echo that. I know that a lot of people will shy away from looking backwards and, and say, well, I'm not living in the past. I'm, I'm moving to the future. But our our past informs our present. And until we have made sense of our past and how it has led us to be who we are right now and in living in the midst of the circumstances we find ourselves in until we make sense of that, uh, not necessarily uh, condoning things that were, um, yeah, like wounds that were inflicted upon us, whether they were intentional or unintentional, but understanding it um, and then being able to make sense of how it has informed our behavior patterns. Only then will we be able to move forward and Honestly, like each and every one of you are so worth like the fullness, the full goodness of what life has in store for you that I would encourage you, challenge you to be brave, look back, even if it's painful, to really just gain a measure of understanding so that you can move forward in a positive way that you're not always recycling uh, those old wounds, but that you're able to move forward in a more healthy, self-aware manner. So go for it, guys. I know it's I know it's not easy. It may be one of the hardest things that you ever do, but I think it'll be one of the most valuable things that you ever do. Says the girl who's throwing herself a birthday party. Yeah. <laughs> November 2nd. Come on, y'all. Party in Hendersonville. <laughs> Just thank you. Anna at restoresmallgroups.org. <laughs> We're going to put that out there again. You can She's pouring the, out the love. Pour love back to her friends. She can have um, the cake she wants. She can have yeah. the food. I mean, oh my gosh, it's uh, my favorite cake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, guys, we got we got a lot of work to do um, to make this a beautiful party for her. But uh, Scott, this section, this was the first day, but nothing is written that can't be rewritten. And this day starts with who's telling your story. So uh, what's the final takeaway for you that you want listeners to hold? I was thinking this morning, actually, in my own life, that this this one central paradigm thought was enable me to that I needed to believe, mm-hmm. and that is that with God, all things can be made new, that nothing is impossible. That and then there's I found this verse in Psalms that says, be, "says when you send your spirit, new life is born." And so it says, "New life can be born." new vision, God and I get to choose how this story is written, the ending. We can rewrite. It doesn't matter what has happened, where I've been, what I've struggled with. God and I can write a new beginning, can write, create a new beginning and write a new ending. And the belief that God loves me, no matter what I've done, what I've struggled with, gives me this sense of hope. And I think of all the stories in the Bible that, that are attractive to me. The Valley of Dry Bones, it's, you know, Lazarus being raised from the dead. God is always making a way when there's not a way to be made. 
you know, have, I'm creating a breakthrough, a pathway when we can't find one. So the belief that that power, that love is behind my life, always fighting for me, always cheering for me, no matter what mistakes I've made, what weaknesses I've had, what flaws I have, that just, we, God and I, are going to co-create this ending, and it's going to be magnificent. I hope our listeners hold on to that today. Well, there it is. A final word of hope, which uh, Restore is all about. And hope sometimes even when things don't turn out the way we hope they would, hope is still something that grounds itself in what's worth hoping in, the good that's worth hoping for. And so find hope today, friends. And although every one of us is on a different path, we are all traveling the same human journey, and we don't want any of you to do it alone. So if we could help, visit us online at restoresmallgroups.org. We'd love to share with you groups you can join, and we'd love to join you somewhere on the journey. So reach out. And over every mountain, there is a path, and the future rewards those who discover it and press on. So stay on the path and take care, friends. What happened? I have no idea. <laughs> it looked like Seth just bounced his head off his microphone. <laughs> I have no idea what he did. Seth just had a monumental (laughs) sneeze. (laughs) Was that a sneeze? (laughs) I sneezed and hit my head on the mic. (laughs) It's a good thing you were muted, my friend. (laughs) Dude, it looked like... (laughs) Wow. It's a good thing it's got that windscreen because he'd have like uh, a big mark on his head. Oh my gosh, we were we were talking about you having all the bloopers, George. Well, yeah. here's, here's my <laughs> thank God. One. It's oh about gosh. time. That was epic. Uh, that kind of hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing. I can't wait to watch the video back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's your a good thing your uh, your mic was <laughs> was Somebody uh, might need to take him to the ER for concussion Scott. protocol. <laughs> Scott is never distracted. He, he oh couldn't even gosh. I'm so sorry, Scott. You were getting ready to share something super significant and profound. and oh, So profound. <laughs> Seth <laughs> just went and ruined the mood. <laughs> I need to mute because I can't stop laughing. <laughs> you guys, we need this so bad because we're so serious all the time. <laughs>